hub, and spoke. Audio Collective. Hi, it's Patrick Cox here, and this is Subtitle, a podcast about languages and our adventures with them. We're a co-production of Quiet Juice and the Linguistic Society of America, and in this episode, a story of intrigue. Edible intrigue. Who stole the fortunes in fortune cookies? So if you live in a country where you get a fortune cookie after your Chinese meal, you know the deal. And you probably have some favorite fortunes. I really like this one. It's a very simple one. You will soon achieve perfection. So nonchalant. Perfection is just around the corner waiting for you. Go on, grab it. Psych. On second thought, maybe this would be better. You will soon achieve imperfection. Now that's something we can all realistically aspire to. I don't think many of us actually think about how these fortunes get written, or for that matter, who writes them. And also why fortune cookie fortunes sometimes seem to veer off course, wildly sometimes, like this one. After today, you shall have a deeper understanding of both good and evil. And that was an actual fortune that I don't know how many restaurant guests opened up after their meal during what might be labeled the existential period of cookie fortunes. All of these questions, the how, the why, the weird, they're all investigated in today's story that was first reported in 2017 by Lydia Jean Cott. You'll hear from me occasionally as the disembodied voice of fortune cookies, but mainly it's Lydia Jean along with Nina Porzuki. Here's Nina. I have a big question about fortune cookies in general. Why are fortune cookie fortunes never actually fortunes? I actually went to New York to ask a fortune writer that, and that's where our story starts. Part one. Some men dream of fortunes, others dream of cookies. We're not (laughs) actual fortune tellers. What we like to do is just to give people advice and possibly make them smile. That's James Wong. He's in his mid-40s, and he's so smiley. He became the official fortune writer at Wonton Food, the biggest fortune cookie company in the U.S., in December. The writer before him, Donald Lau, he had to step down because he said he got writer's block. (laughs) And writing fortunes, it's actually... Okay, it's really hard because the fortunes, they have to apply to everyone. They have to be positive, And there has to be no possible conceivable way that they could be construed as offensive. Otherwise, people complain. The people in the restaurant complain to the restaurant owners who complain to the distributors who complain to wonton food. So that's why. It's bad for business. Still, even though wonton tries really hard with all of their messages to be basically keep everyone happy, there have still been fortunes that have gone really wrong. (laughs) This one that immediately comes to mind. A couple, a husband and wife, went out for dinner and they opened their cookies together. The fortune that he got was romance is in the air on your next trip. Romance is in the air on your next trip. Unfortunately, he was about to leave on a business trip. We heard from the lady's lawyer that she's actually blaming everything that happened, that that went wrong with the marriage on us. 
that can't be true, okay. Lydia Jean. That is insane. Okay, Nina, that's, I said that. I, I told them I didn't think it was true. But they insisted that it was. It was him and a PR person that was there. And they said that, that Fortune ended up getting removed from circulation because of it. Anyways, regardless, the story definitely indicates the stakes. People take their fortune seriously. And Wong says that when he's writing, it helps him to think about his daughter. She's 10 years old, and he just thinks about what he wants her to know about life. He had an example, actually, that he dug out of his pocket. This is actually, I'm going to take out a fortune that I was preparing for this interview, uh, if I could find it. Um, the only sure thing about luck is that it will change. Wong is always writing. He jots down fortunes on gum wrappers, napkins. Sometimes he told me toilet paper. Oh, my gosh. And the hardest part, he said, is keeping up with the demand. I'm being pressured <laughs> to be more productive, uh, to write more. It's not as easy as probably some people would think. Wonton produces 4.5 million fortune cookies a day. Like can Million? You, yeah. I mean, I can't really conceive of that number, but the demand for new fortunes, I think, might outstrip the number of positive universal messages that it's <laughs> possible to come up with. Oh, it's a really troubling problem. And that might explain why fortune cookie fortune theft might be tempting. Part two. The only sure thing about luck is that it will change. That little clock you hear, that's the sound of a fortune getting inserted into a fortune cookie in Wonton's factory out in Long Island. Yang Shik Li invented this machine, or at least its predecessor. He filed a patent for the first fully automatic fortune cookie machine in 1981. This machine, it revolutionized the industry. But Li himself, he's pretty much gone out of business. Here's his story. First off, Lee's not actually Chinese. He's a Korean-American engineer who lives outside of Boston. He's about 80 now. And he used to sell fortune cookie machines and also fortunes to go along with them. He innovated in that field, too. He's the guy who added the smiley faces. Then, in the late 90s, a disgruntled employee of his photocopied his fortunes, stole his customers, and started his own company out in San Francisco. I tried to get in touch with Lee a bunch of times to ask him about what exactly happened between him and the fortune cookie thief. Hello, please leave a message after the tone. After a couple of weeks, Lee sent me an email saying this. I have given many interviews more than 30 years ago. At that time, fortune cookies were not known. Fortune cookies became an American phenomenon. And now all Americans know about fortune cookies. I don't want the publicity anymore. I get it, I wrote back. But did you have a former employee who stole your customers, copied your fortunes, and overtook your business? A couple hours later, he responded, Many guys had gone through me. I treasure to remember only the good ones. Forgiveness does not change the past, but it does enlarge the future. Okay, yeah, but I wanted an actual answer. Yang Shik Lee has a son named David Lee who used to help out with the company. Now he lives out in LA, he's a former Google exec, and he's a super big deal tech investor. Like, if you Google his name, you find people saying, how can I get in touch with David Lee? So I guess I was luckier than most since David Lee responded to me agreeing to a Skype date to talk about his father's business. But he stood me up. Twice. 
we finally connected one day as he was leaving work and getting into his Uber. Hi, Lydia. How are you? I'm so good. How are you? Good. I am so sorry about all the back and forth. So you, you get an A in persistence for sure. I told David that I had read about how his father had had this employee who had copied his fortunes, stolen his customers, and overtaken his business. So then I also asked your dad about this, and he said he didn't remember it, but did that all happen? If that's what my dad said, um, I'm going to have to respect his wishes. He probably just doesn't want to talk about it. But for sure, like I think any great technology, there are going to be copycats and there's going to be competition. And that was all he'd tell me. Part three, the riches of others make you more valuable. Fortune cookies, they wouldn't even exist in America were it not for this other theft, one that happened years and years ago. There's this famous shrine in Japan, and it's called the Fushimi Inari Shrine. And the street leading up to it, it's full of these like little family-run bakeries, and these bakeries sell all sorts of cookies including fortune cookies, because fortune cookies aren't actually Chinese. They originated in Japan. Takeshi Matsuhisa works at one of these bakeries called Sahonke Hagyokudo. It's actually one of the oldest. Takeshi says he learned how to fold fortunes from his father, who learned from his father, and so on and so on. Wow, that is amazing. I guess I really always knew that they didn't have fortune cookies in China, but I always thought it was a Chinese-American invention. I had zero idea that it started in Japan. Are the Japanese fortune cookies just like American ones? Yeah, they're basically the same. I mean, they're a little larger and they taste a little less sweet, but the main difference has to do with the fortunes. There's way fewer of them. Sahonke Hagyokudo has been using the same 30 fortunes for decades. Oh my god. So yeah, fortune cookie writer's block, it's not really a problem in Japan. But aren't people disappointed if they get the same fortune over and over and over again? No, apparently getting the same fortune twice just means you were really meant to get that fortune. What kind of things do these 30 fortunes say? Well, they're like these little lines of poetry. Um, They're pretty hard to translate because they're written in old-fashioned Japanese, and they have a lot of puns. Do you have an example? Um, Well, there's this one, and this is a very rough translation. Bow your head when speaking to others so their opinions go over your head. Okay, I'll take it. How then did Japanese fortunes come all the way to the U.S. and become associated with Chinese restaurants? So it all started with the gold rush. In 1848, people from all over the world came to California, hoping to make their literal fortunes. And a lot of those people, they came from China. Uh, That song, by the way, is, it's from a really racist musical from the 60s called Paint Your Wagon. Wow, yeah. Um, So then, as often happens after big waves of immigrations like this, an anti-immigrant backlash followed. And there weren't very many jobs open to Chinese immigrants, except in the restaurant business. So that's actually why there's so many Chinese restaurants all over the U.S. now. How then did the Chinese restaurants start serving these Japanese fortune cookies? When the Japanese immigrated to the U.S., they opened up Chinese restaurants, too. It was just easier that way. People knew about Chinese food. There were the ingredients there. And then because, you know, 
Americans love dessert, they started giving out fortune cookies at the end of meals. But then World War II broke out. Yesterday, December 7, 1941, a date which will live in infamy. After the Pearl Harbor attack, President Franklin Roosevelt signed an executive order forcibly relocating hundreds of thousands of Japanese Americans into internment camps all across the U.S. Some were forced to stay as long as four years. And by the time the Japanese were allowed to return to their homes, the Chinese had overtaken the fortune cookie business. After the break, Lydia Jean Cott tracks down the fortune cookie thief. And while she's sleuthing around, she comes upon another mystery to be solved. Why did the fortunes in some fortune cookies a few decades ago become so full of doom and foreboding? I'm jumping in here to remind you to please rate and review Subtitle wherever you listen. We love reviews. And so do other potential listeners. In fact, they're more likely to hear about Subtitle after you review us with however many stars you decide we're worth. So do us a favor and give the algorithm gods at Apple Podcasts and everywhere else a little nudge. Thank you. Subtitle is a member of the Hub and Spoke Podcast Collective, which is home to a bunch of other wonderful podcasts. One of them is The Briny, which tells stories about the sea, our love for it, our fear for it, and many other things too. Listen to the recent episode about a woman who tries to overcome her anxiety about shark attacks by competing in an ocean swim. And that's just the start of the story. The Briny is hosted by Matt Frassica. Find out more about it and about all of the Hub and Spoke podcasts at hubspokeaudio.org. Part four. A hero is a man who does what he can. So who stole Lee's fortunes? Well, he's now a West Coast fortune cookie magnate. And his name? It's Stephen Yang. Hello? Hi, is this Stephen Yang? Yeah? Hi, how are you? This is Lydia Jean. I'm working on a story about fortune cookies. But this is not the part where I catch the fortune cookie thief. Uh-huh. I'm a little bit busy right now, so can we talk another time? I called back again and again, but Yang was always busy. Or at least he never answered. There's this other guy, though, and he did meet with Yang almost two decades ago. And after their conversation, well, fortune cookies, I'm not going to say they were never quite the same, but they were different, at least for a while. On November 4th, 2000, something dreadful has happened to fortune cookies, read the front page of the LA Times the fortunes had turned dark. People in LA and all over the West Coast were getting messages like, Choose your enemies wisely. Pain indicates injury, while a painful sensation indicates growth. Learn to distinguish between them. After today, you shall have a deeper understanding of both good and evil. The man responsible for these dark and distressing fortunes was a soft-spoken novelist, originally from Montana, named Russell Rowland. He heard about a job writing fortunes from a friend, so he applied. It was just the weirdest experience. This guy 
the interview basically lasted about five minutes. He said, do you want to do it? And I was like, okay. <laughs> he was just looking, he was just desperate, basically. That desperate man was Stephen Yang, fortune cookie thief and current fortune cookie baron. You know, the one that won't answer my calls. He commissioned Roland to write him a thousand fortunes. At around like 70 cents a fortune, I don't know the going rate for fortunes, but that doesn't seem like a lot. Anyways, Roland took the job because he could use the extra cash, but even more than that, he could use the distraction. He had just sold his first book to a publishing company, and that company had gone under, and he had no idea what was going to happen to his book. I was kind of a kind of a mess, you know, a nervous wreck about whether it was ever going to get published. Um, so yeah, so was that that was like a dark period in your life, the fortune? Company? Yeah, it was. I guess it showed in my fortunes. <laughs> Roland cribbed a lot of the messages from books, especially this one called The Great Thoughts that's full of quotes from like thinkers who helped shape the Western world. All the famous ones, Plato and Voltaire and even politicians. I mean, I w- this book was just full of great quotes. Mark Twain, the whole deal. A hero is a man who does what he can. French playwright, Romain Roland. Words are the only things that last forever. English essayist William Hazlitt. But Roland had more messages to write than there were great thoughts to steal. When I got to the last couple hundred, I was so burned out on it that I would just take a a phrase like, love is the secret to happiness, and I would cut and paste different words in there. So it was, you know, serenity is the secret to happiness, Family's the secret to happiness. I just, <laughs> I was just cranking out a bunch that were pretty similar. Roland never did make it to a thousand fortunes. He stopped at 700. Russell Roland went on to become a well respected and successful author. Still, his most widely read work and the one that had the greatest impact on the American psyche was that set of disconcerting fortune cookie messages that he wrote back when he thought that maybe he would never even make it as a writer, as Roland wrote me in an email. The twists of fate are very unpredictable. Oh, you shouldn't actually be reading that. I don't think that fortune ever made it into a cookie. Part 5. You will be unusually successful in business. So this is a leafy, kind of more quiet street, but it's not his street yet, is it? I think, we, I mean, we're, we're definitely approaching. My heart's kind of racing. <laughs> <laughs> Having exhausted all of my yeah, options, I flew 3,000 miles from Boston to San Francisco, hoping to talk to Stephen Yang, the fortune cookie thief, in person. My friend Annie Hollister agreed to come with, ostensibly to hold the mic, but actually to calm my nerves. There's 501A, 501B. Okay, here we are. We arrived at what looked like an office building. It was white, pagoda style. All the windows were shuttered. Entrance at back of building. Yeah, that's not great. 501 Mendel Street Unit B, entrance at back of building. That's not very promising. Well, let's try. Around back, there was a parking lot and a garage. The door was left half open. Oh, look at the boxes, though. The garage was filled with cardboard boxes. So many that it would have been impossible to close the door without some serious rearranging. And next to one of the boxes, I noticed a little white rectangular slip of paper. I think those, sli- those slips. Oh my there. God! Yes, there are fortunes all over the floor. 
I ducked under the garage door to pick one up. I found a fortune. <laughs> you will soon hear pleasant news of a personal nature. This wow. Is, we found this it. This is it. And I stole a fortune. <laughs> Stephen Yang, turns out, was just having lunch next door. Can I come in? Yeah. <laughs> Yang is more soft-spoken and more welcoming than I expected. You can come inside. He runs this company with his wife. Five people work here total. Pretty much all the fortunes in America that don't come from Wonton, that company in New York, they come from this warehouse. They weren't written here necessarily. Most companies at this point have their own stockpiles of fortunes, but they send in their orders and the fortunes get printed here, cut up, and shipped off. The hardest part is the cutting. Whole days cutting. Like from what time in the morning? Yeah. Uh, 8.30 morning, mm-hmm. 5.30 finish. And you spend the whole day cutting? Whole day cutting. Yang showed me a sheet of paper with messages from Panda Express before they've been cut up into fortunes. Beautiful things await you. You will find hidden treasures where you least expect it. Be daring. Try something new. Yang took us from the cutting room to the garage, the one I broke into earlier, where boxes of fortunes are waiting to get shipped to companies all over the United States and also abroad. Well, I have a three, uh, three customers in Canada. I have a one customer in Germany, also one in French. So this ancient Japanese cookie that became known as a Chinese dessert in America is now getting served in American style Chinese restaurants in Germany. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if Lee, the inventor of the automatic fortune cookie machine, has any idea about all the places that his cookies are now going. Annie and I, by the way, had been strategizing for days about how to ask Yang if he stole Lee's fortunes. You used to live in Boston, right? We brought up Boston any chance we got. I live in Boston. But actually, Yang seemed to want to tell us about Boston. You know Boston, under a company <laughs> called United automatic technology uh-huh. in Boston. That sells fortune cookie machines? The Korea people. Yeah, 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 I know that. Is he still alive? He's still alive, yeah. Oh, he's still alive. Yang got quiet, but when he started talking again, it was like he was telling us about something that had happened just the other day, as opposed to over two decades ago. You know, I tried selling a machine for this guy. Yang worked for Lee as a salesman. He says he would find customers and sell them Lee's newfangled machines. And then the customers would go back to Lee over and over again to get refills on fortunes. Yang felt taken advantage of. He felt like he was putting in all this work, finding customers for Lee, and all he got was this one commission while Lee was set for years. I'm saying, you smart. I find a customer, sell a one machine, then she goes to you, all right? So Yang decided to start his own business, selling fortune cookie fortunes for cheaper than Lee's. And yes, to start things off, he stole Lee's fortunes. First time I got a fortune from a, a Boston guy. You got his I'm fortunes? A, I'm, I'm copying them. You copied them? I'm copying them, I'm copying the, the fortune, the seller. Copied and sold them. Yang says he doesn't feel like he did anything wrong. To the contrary, he's proud. He feels like he won. Was the Boston guy, was he mad that you copied Oh, she made, of course. I've got not, uh, I don't care. Not all market is mine. Not Boston guy. Boston guy is no more. But the end of the Boston guy was not the end of Yang's problems. 
Yang didn't tell us what those stolen fortunes said, but he said as his company grew, he started getting negative feedback about typos, grammatical mistakes, repeats, etc. So many companies, people in the company, this, this is no good, she said. This is not fortune. <laughs> That's why Yang hired Russell Rowland to write more fortunes. You know, bummer fortune guy. Pay less attention to your living conditions and more attention to your life. That didn't go great either. So Yang shifted focus from producing fortunes to printing and cutting them. Companies turned to him because he uses this special non-toxic ink and non-toxic paper that's pretty hard to get. So if people eat their fortunes, nothing bad will happen to them. Wait a second. People eat fortunes? Yes. What are you talking about? Nobody eats the little paper yeah. fortune in yes. the fortune co- Really? Some people actually only think it comes true if they eat them. Ugh. Anyways, he told me that he likes the work. What do you like about your job? Why do you, why do you like it? Yeah, you know what? No competition. <laughs> Just cut, sell. Are there other businesses that are no. the same? You're the only one. Only one. No competition. At least for now. But as Lee's son said, back when I asked him if someone stole his dad's fortunes. I think any great technology, there are going to be copycats and there's going to be competition. I realize now, though, or at least I think, that what he was trying to say is that that's okay. That's how things get better, even. And that's why his dad was willing to let this whole thing go. I mean, stealing those fortunes? It was definitely a little ethically dubious on Yang's part. But doesn't every innovation, every piece of art, every fortune cookie fortune owe something to what came before it? I think my conclusion after all this is that it's not where you take things from, but where you take them to. Lydia Jean Cott. And yes, of course she stole that last line, shamelessly and gleefully. Thanks to Lydia Jean and to Nina Porzuki, also to Terry McDermott, whose LA Times article, The Sage of Fortune Cookies, inspired the story about Russell Rowland, to Jennifer A. Lee, author of the Fortune Cookie Chronicles, all of the history in this episode, Lydia Jean got from Jennifer's book, and to Gwendolina Fanti for going to that bakery in Japan and sending us back the audio. We're going to be starting our very own subtitle weekly newsletter soon. It'll be a pretty short email, rounding up a couple of language-related items that are in the news, also linking to new linguistic research that we think is interesting. And maybe we'll throw in a translation fail or two. We're still working on the format. If you'd like to know more, or if you want to tell us what you might be most interested in reading about in a newsletter, drop us a line. The address is subtitlepod at gmail.com. That's subtitlepod at gmail.com. And you can always find us on Twitter at LingoPod. Lastly, a little apology. Sorry it's taken so long to get this episode out. This season, I've been good about publishing every two weeks, but this one just got away. A lot of stuff going on, you know. Not bad stuff, just stuff. Anyway, Kavita Pillay and I will be back with more episodes starting in September. We have a couple episodes in the works already. See you then, and thanks for those ratings and reviews. Hub and Spoke. Audio Collective.